and earth is no more. I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I once was Just one and I 
so great a God as our God. Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. our dwelling place in all generations before thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art god
Well, amen. I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but that one is a good one. Amen. Well, I love songs that exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's God. Well, what a wonderful thing to serve the risen Savior today. That's a wonderful thing. John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10. We're going to go ahead and get this started. These guys are bringing out this door, and boy, I'll tell you what, you can tell right now that we need help. All right. They're going to get it, though. I have great faith in them. And they didn't believe in themselves. I gave them a pep talk before. And now look at how well they're doing. Very good. Oh, that's good. No angles. Straight, just straightforward. Nope, nope, nope. Not like that. There we go. We're going to straight, just straighten it straight out. Straight across there. Nope, straight, straight. Just like that. There we go. Here we go. Look at that. One guy handles the whole thing. But then again, you got to have that right there, okay? All right, anyway, thank you, gentlemen. We pre- oh, oh, I see why you didn't want to have that there, because you didn't. Brother Steve's now, he's going to run off on us. He's all upset now. He, I embarrassed him. No, he's fine. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Again, we are thrilled you're here. And boy, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but that music was just phenomenal. I love the choir. Don't you just love the choir? I do. I enjoy that. And of course, the specials were just wonderful. But I don't know about what, what it is about a group getting together and just praising the Lord and lifting their voices up. But boy, I sure enjoyed that. And again, that ensemble too. Boy, great job, all of you today. John chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 10. And so let's go ahead and do that. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to join. If not, just uh, listen and uh, allow the Lord to speak to your heart through the Word of God. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger, they know not, they do not, they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you now for this time that we have together. We ask, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts through the word of God. Lord, when it's all said and done, this is what church is really all about proclaiming your truth, your word. We love the music. We love the fellowship. We enjoy those things. You've allowed the church to come together for the purpose of exhorting and lifting up one another, but Lord, also to reach the world with the gospel and ultimately, Father, to empower us and and, and enable us to go out and make a difference and an impact in the world and the culture in which we live. Now, Father, may we glean from your word today. May we grow as a result. And Father, if there be any here that are without Jesus Christ, that have yet to receive and accept Him as their Lord, their personal Savior. May they settle that today before they leave. Now, Lord, we need You. We love You. And we ask for Your leadership and Your Spirit to work and move in these aisles and in these pews 
And even on this stage, as Father, you need to fill me with your spirit. Lord, may I be simply your mouthpiece. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, earlier on in the chapter, we're in chapter 10, but uh, earlier on in the book, should I say, of the book of John, we read a number of things about the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, we see him healing the man with an infirmity of 38 years. And uh, he, the Bible says uh, that, that basically the Bible, uh, an angel would go down to this uh, particular uh, water there at Bethesda and, and he would stir the waters and the first one to get into the waters would be healed. Well, of course, this particular man was unable to get into the water because, of course, he had an infirmity. And as a result of that, he was unable to get there before others. And Jesus came along that day and he said to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And as a result, once again, the man stands and he's perfectly fine. He walks on his own, his own strength. 38 years, but now all of a sudden he's on his feet and he's walking again. In John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ once again does a miracle. We see the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, that's 5,000 men, not counting their wives and their children. So it could have been a multitude of thousands. And yet Jesus, the Bible tells us, literally fed them with five loaves and two fishes. And someone says, well, that's impossible. Exactly. It is impossible for you, and it's impossible for me, but not for God. And let me, may I say that the Lord Jesus Christ, as we said already, is God in the flesh. That he literally came from heaven and he became a man. And boy, I'll tell you, I'm glad that God came to earth that day. Hold on one second. Things like that drive me crazy. I'm stepping on something back here, and if I do that, I'll be annoyed all service. So I thought I would just share that with you very quickly, be done with it, and move forward. So nonetheless, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Also in John chapter 6, we have Jesus walking on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I was walking on some water just a little bit ago getting in here. But not nearly as much as he was walking on, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I'm walking on the surface and just in water. He's walking on top of the water. And I mean, again, you say, that's impossible. Exactly. That's all God right there. And then also he reveals to us there in chapter 6, also in the book of John, that he is the bread of life. And uh, we see that there in the passage, John chapter 6. Now, we move to John chapter 8, and we see a woman that's taken in adultery. The Bible says in John 8, 4, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And in verse 7, he goes on to say, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Well, we know how that went down. Ultimately, they all left. They moved on because there was not a one of them without sin. And the truth is today is that each and every one of us in this room have sin in our lives and in our hearts. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that to be the case. But we see here in this particular passage that ultimately he looks at her and says, Ma'am, where are thine accusers? She said, I don't know. And he says, well, neither. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to accuse you either then. I'm just going to tell you, go and sin no more. And boy, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful thing it was to see the God of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but those men that were on earth that day, they were quite quick to want to go ahead and pass judgment. They were real quick about wanting to bring the hammer down. But I'm going to tell you, we have a God in heaven that is loving and he is kind and he is concerned and he has much grace and mercy that he wants to extend. Now, again, he's not, he's not going to just simply dismiss sin, but as he gives her that, that, that correction and then he also says, go and sin no more. I believe that she left there a changed woman. Then we see here in John chapter nine, just prior to our chapter, chapter 10, we see a man that was born blind And in this particular passage in John chapter 9, we see that from birth he was born blind, but now he can see. 
I mean, the Bible tells us here that Jesus, he had smoked and he spat on the ground. He made clay of spittle and he anointed the eyes of this blind man with clay. So here he is, there's dirt on the ground. He, he brings some, he spits in, makes some clay and he puts it on his eyes. And he tells this young fella or this man at least to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And boy, I'll tell you what, he went his way, the Bible says, therefore, and washed and came seeing. He came seeing. He had never seen in his entire life. Can you imagine the scene that day there at the pool of Siloam? Him dipping into that water and all of a sudden coming up and being able to see? Can you imagine the excitement that he experienced? Can you imagine the, 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 the wonder of it all to see the God's creation before himself in his, in his own image, his own eyes, the way he could see himself? I mean, before that, he had to make it all up in his mind. Now he sees it. Man, I tell you, that would have been exciting. You say, that's impossible. Exactly. That's all God. And Jesus goes on chapter 9 early on to say, you know, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Boy, I'll tell you what, we got a lot going on here. The book of John is filled with miracle after miracle after miracle. And those miracles reveal his identity as Messiah. They prove his deity God. They exhibit his authority over the, 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 natural, the, the natural earth itself and over all obstacles that we face in our lives. Around every corner, however, there are critics. With every answer that the Lord Jesus provides, there's another question that's presented him. Nothing he says or does seem to get through to these misguided leaders. See, chapter 10 reveals this to us. We see them criticizing the master. We see them questioning the master. We see them showing their skepticism, their cynicism, and their criticism of him. The rabbis and the religious leaders of that day were entrenched in their unbelief. And no way in the world were they going to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to take his rightful place of preeminence. So in chapter 10, again, we see that he's already, we we recognize already before that he's described himself as the bread of life, chapter 6, the provider and the sustainer of life. He's already described himself in chapter 9 as the light of the world, providing guidance, direction, and even protection for us. And there, here he, he, he uses an intriguing term in chapter 10. He's going to describe himself now as the shepherd of the sheep. And we know as a shepherd, he's going to provide, again, protection and provision and care and guidance and leadership. And he uses this unbelievable term, this very intriguing term. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Now, he expounds on those each time he uses them. He only uses them twice in the entire Bible. It's the only two times you see it, and it's in John chapter 10, both times. First, he says in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, later in the chapter, chapter 10, he gives some further detail as to what he's referring to. Again, remember, he's the good shepherd, he says. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Well, in verse 15 now, he goes on to see, And the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Can we get a little help over there? Thank you very much. So we we see that they lay down their life for the sheep. Everything's fine. We just got a lot of children that came in, and we got wonderful classes for all the kids, and we don't want them to miss out on all those wonderful classes that are right at their level. Boy, God's about understanding things, isn't he? You know, that's why we have Sunday school here, because we want the children to have understanding too, not just the adults. And so we try to present things at the level of the children so that they can glean and grow, just like we need to glean and grow. 
So nonetheless, we see here, it, it, we see here then in verse 15 that he says, and the father knoweth me, even so know I the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, listen, I'm the good shepherd and I'm laying down my life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18, he goes on to say, therefore doth my father love me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. By the way, Jesus goes on to say, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. He says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Again, no man taketh it. You know, sometimes we get the idea that, that the Roman soldiers took the life of Jesus. Or we say, you know what the fact is, is that the Jews are the reason why Jesus died. Because they said, crucify him, crucify him. You know, that's not really the, the, the reality at all. The truth is that he, he willingly laid down his life. And 2,000 years ago, the God of all heaven literally came to earth and he became a man and he hung on Calvary and he died, was buried and rose again. And he did that willingly for you. And he did that for me. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. Well, that's a wonderful thing. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all heaven, the creator of the universe, laid his life down for you and I. Gave himself. You got to wonder, why in the world would he do that? Because you and I... We just can't get it done on our own. He's got to do it for us. And we'll talk a little more about that later. But we see in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, that the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, again, verse 14, is the second time that that phrase is used. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He says, I know my sheep and they know me. Well, that's a wonderful thing again. I don't know about you, but relationships are what really the world's all about. What life's all about. You know, too many times we get caught up in the, 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 the things of life. But the reality is, is that real joy comes through relationships in life. And the Bible teaches us here that the God of all heaven who came to earth, became a man, Jesus Christ, says, listen, I have these sheep, you know. I'm the good shepherd. And by the way, I know them and they know me. What he's saying is we got a relationship. And the truth is today is that if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to get one. It's so important and it's so imperative. And may I say, I don't care what, what realm of life you come from. It doesn't matter what gender you are, what nationality you are, what, what, what uh, religious background you are. Uh, it doesn't matter about anything. I don't care what it is. There is not one thing that can keep you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ except you. He wants a relationship with you. You say, but I, you know, I'm not the kind of person, if you'd ever know the things I've done in my past, he says, you know what? I don't care. You just need to get things straight with me. And, and in a moment, we'll talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> but Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. And boy, anybody can know him. And he's more than happy to know you. But the critics accused him. In John chapter 20, it says, and many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Why even listening to Jesus? I mean, here's Jesus trying to help people. Here's Jesus trying to come to their aid. But yet here are the critics now. They're accusing him. He's got a devil. I mean, he just healed this blind man that was blind from birth. How, what power did he use? And how did he get it done? And, and what, what source of power does he have to get that accomplished? They said, oh, it's got to be a devil. He's got to be a demon. He's got to have power from the underworld. Hmm. The crowds asked the question. Chapter 10, verse 21. Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? That's a pretty good question. 
I mean, I mean, why in the world would the devil help somebody? Why in the world, other than the fact to maybe deceive someone, I guess. But I mean, Jesus hadn't been saying anything that sounded, you know, wrong or, or incorrect in the sense of, of hurting people, not wanting to help people. And here he is, I mean, literally uh, helping this blind man come to sight. And they said, wait a second, it doesn't sound like he's got a devil. Matter of fact, I mean, in our, in our experience, when a man or somebody can do those kind of miracles, they're not devils. That's the power of God. And then the critics, they, they turn around and confront the Lord Jesus. They, they, they came to the Jews roundabout and they, they confronted and they said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt, Jesus? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really who you claim to be, if you're really the one that you say you're the God that came to earth and you are God-man, then why don't you just say it plain? Why don't you just give it to us straight like he hadn't already? Well, Jesus responds to that. In verses 25 through 29, he says, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He says, wait a second, don't you realize? I mean, think about, guys, what you've been seeing and what you've been hearing all along. I mean, I healed the man with the infirmity of 38 years. I mean, I fed the, the 5,000. I've walked on water. I, I took this man even here that's in your presence today and, and, and gave him sight, even though he, was, he had, could not see from his birth. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So now we go back then. Okay. I I said all that just to say it, right? To get it out there. That's what we see happening in chapter 10. And as we go back through the book of John and it leads us to chapter 10, we've got a people now, these religious leaders that are questioning and criticizing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to make a claim that he is literally the Messiah, the promised one, but they won't believe him. They won't have it. They won't hear it. And ultimately, Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. If by, if, he says, if I am the door, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, I don't know. He's getting pretty plain here now. It's pretty simple. And with all that said, I want to give you three points this morning. Very basic. Very basic that will help us to understand what he's saying when he says, I am the door. You know, Jesus says, I'm the door. And you think, that's crazy, a door. What, what good's a door? Now listen, we understand a lot about doors and, and we realize that doors permit entrance and that they keep out and protect and there's all kinds of things that take place and transpire with a door. But I want to share just three simple points that I think will help us to understand this idea, this thought, this concept that Jesus is the door. Because he is. You say, why? Because he said so. That's good enough. So number one, first of all, I want to note or point out the obscure the obscure, maybe some facts or something that's little known to most. 
As we go back culturally speaking and we go back to the times of Jesus Christ, we're going to find that sheepfolds or places where they kept sheep in the Bible, were, uh, in those Bible lands in that day were enclosures of stone or thorn bushes. So they would try to find a place where there were either a stone around it or maybe some thorn bushes around and there they would place those sheep into that sheepfold. And, 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 and they did that for reasons. What would then happen is this, okay, so, so above them is the sky. There's nothing above them. They're not worried about some, you know, uh, you know, some flying object, or they're not worried about, you know, bombs dropping in or anything like that. This is back in Jesus' day. And so what we have here is we got this sheepfold, and it's, it's surrounded with either rocks or usually some kind of thorn bushes, and then there would be an entrance, and, and that, the, the sheep would go in and out of that entrance. Now, interestingly enough, in those days... The shepherd was the door. You say, what do you mean? Well, at night, he would lead the sheep into the fold, and there they would find the rest they would need, and, 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 and that, that would cause them to have, obviously, uh, protection from wild beasts or prey. But then he would literally lay in front of the door. He would literally take himself and place himself in front of the door where the sheep had entered or would exit. See, this would ensure that there would be no animals that could get in. As long as he was there, nothing's getting in. I mean, the the sheep that were restless would get up and move about. They couldn't just slip on out into the wilderness and be lost at that point. They'd literally have to climb over top of the shepherd. In the morning, he stood aside. He would call his sheep out, and he would count, and he would examine them at that point. And then he could lead them on their way, and he could lead them. They would follow him. And so as the shepherd, Jesus took his place in the opening. And thus he became the door. So in in those days again, there was that sheepfold and there the shepherd laid, protecting his sheep, ensuring no one or nothing could enter in, nothing could come out. He himself became the door. We note the opposition though. These false teachers and religious leaders, they were false shepherds. Now again, if we'd go back to the beginning of the chapter, we're going to see that ultimately he goes on to say that, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And he says, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Man, I'll tell you what, we don't have time to go into it, but I can tell you this. Jesus met every requirement of the the, the God-given shepherd. And I'm going to tell you, he is the shepherd. And and there were others that wanted to lead the people of God as well. But unfortunately, they were false shepherds. Jesus Christ wants to lead them into victory. Jesus Christ wants to lead them into joy. Jesus Christ wants to lead them into eternal life. But unfortunately, there are other shepherds, false teachers and false prophets that came along and tried to steal the sheep and tried to direct them in a way that would lead them to destruction. By the way, there are those false teachers today. See, not everybody that says they're a Christian, not everybody that names the name of Christ, not everybody that says they pastor a church, not everybody that goes to church understands and recognizes and accepts the word of God as the truth. And just because there's a cross on a building doesn't make it a place where you can get truth. Because see, the truth is not in a cross alone. The truth is not in a building and the truth is not in a denomination. The truth is in a book called the word of God. But these false teachers, these religious leaders, they became false shepherds. 
They were those thieves and robbers that Jesus spoke of earlier in the chapter. They were the blind leading the blind. They were bent on leading the people away from Jesus and into danger. See, these particular rabbis that were discussing and talking and and, and speaking to the Lord Jesus at this point, they had, interestingly enough, they had substituted tradition for truth. See, what the truth was, oh, you know, we know what the Word of God says. We know what God has given to us through, the, through Moses and the prophets. We understand exactly what it says. However, we have some ideas of how church should be run. We have some ideas how people can get to heaven. We have some ideas of how it will best suit man, mankind to, to function and operate and to reach heaven. Hey, listen, there was a group back in the book of Genesis that thought they'd build a tower that would reach heaven too. And may I say that God had to come down and confound their languages. Because, see, mankind always thinks he or she has the answers. But let me tell you, you want to find the true answers, you need to go to the true book, the Word of God. And listen, the fact is today is that those rabbis were were swapping out or substituting tradition for truth. Hey, where somebody says, we have a tradition in our church, but it does not line itself up with the Word of God, my friend, run from that church. Get into a church that says, you know what? It's not about tradition. It's about the Word of God, and it's about truth. Not only that, but it's funny, these rabbis, they substituted the Talmud for the Torah. Now, the Talmud was the Word of God, and, and, and yet they took this Torah, which was a bunch of different beliefs and a bunch of different uh, uh, rules and regulations. Ultimately, it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. Before you, had, before you knew it, these priests were walking around with blinders on their eyes for fear of seeing some woman that they would lust after. Now, I don't know about you, but it's ridiculous. I tell you what, I'm all for watching what we look at. We have to be very careful as believers. We have to be careful as people not to allow certain things to draw our attention away from him. But let me tell you, if you put blinders on me right now, I'm tumbling down those steps. And I don't know, you think it's a bad sight right now looking at me. You should see me after I fall down steps. It's really ugly. I'm not going to do that. That would be a man-made tradition. That would be something that we just came up with. It would be extra and above and beyond necessarily. And I'm all for standards and I'm all for those things. But we got to be careful that they don't become the truth. Because they're not. They're, they're put in place to protect us with the truth. Now, again, the opposition. Not only did these rabbis substitute tradition for truth or the Talmud for the Torah, but they also substituted the imagined oral law, once again, traditions, for the inspired written law. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's a dangerous thing again. I don't know. I mean, what do we believe here at Community Baptist Temple? What do we teach here at Community Baptist Temple? What do we adhere to? If, if we have those set of bylaws and those truths that we say that we believe, they better be found or, or grounded in the Word of God again. See, the Word of God is the basis of all faith and practice. It ought to be that which we define our life by. And ultimately test our life by. So these men, even though Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Even though he said that, they continued to question his identity. Who are you? Even though he told them over and over and over again. They denied his deity. It was obvious based on the fact that he could manipulate literally nature itself. That this was more than a mere man. This was God. And they continued to reject his authority. By the way, if you know someone is God and he is on earth and he is, he is claiming that he deserves your worship and recognition, 
we'd be, it'd be ridiculous to reject his authority. But yet that's exactly what they did. Do you know what they could offer, though? Do you know what these, these leaders could offer? Dead works. Dead religion. Vain works, dead religion. That's what they had to offer. They could only promise, the only promise they had was false hope. All they could really provide were more questions. Because they didn't have the answer, the word of God. It's funny how things continue to change in our world, isn't it? How one thing that was wrong 50 years ago is no longer wrong. How's that, how's that work? How, how is it wrong, something wrong 50 years ago, but it's right today? I'll tell you why. Because our morals are changing because morals are not defined by something that's unchangeable. It's being defined by something that's changeable. You know who's changeable? We are. We change our minds based on our circumstance, based on our situation, based on our surroundings, based on our upbringing. Our mind is, is programmed based on those elements of our environment. But may I say that the word of God is never changing. It's consistent. It's always the same. And if it was wrong to do something 50 years ago, it'll be wrong 50 years from now. Jesus was and is the good shepherd, and as such, he is the door. He was the way out of dead religion and into life. Because, see, that's all that those rabbis offered those Jews. Dead religion. Keep offering your sacrifices. Keep depending on the priest. Keep looking to religion as your hope of ultimately ending up in the presence of God. May I say, they're not that far away today. They're with us today still in that regard. And I'm not talking about Jewish leaders. I'm talking about religious leaders. I don't care today. Listen, I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you call yourself Muslim. I don't care if you call yourself a Buddhist. doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. I, I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care what your denomination is, what your nationality is. I'm telling you, biblically and scripturally, we have one truth, and it is the Word of God. And that defines how to get to heaven. That defines how to reach the pearly gates. So we see, first of all, the obscure. We noted the opposition. What about the opportunity? And this is where it gets good, and we're going to have to move quickly. But here's what we find, is that the true shepherd saves. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So see, what we're realizing here in the passage is that through the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are saved today. And we enter into a new freedom and a new experience, one that helps us to enjoy life and ultimately have the fullest of lives. See, Jesus is the door today. And today we have a door in front of us, but I'm going to tell you something. In the passage, he makes it very clear that Jesus is the door. He himself is the door. He's not just a door. He is the door. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means this, that it's through that door that you become part of the body of Christ. It's through that door that we enter into the family of God. It's through that door that we arrive safely on heaven's shore. It's through that door that we enter into life everlasting. What we're saying is, is that it's not going to be through your baptism. 
It won't be through good works and it won't be through your upbringing or your family heritage. Oh, I was born in a godly family. I was born in a Christian home. I don't care where you were born. The fact is you got to be supernaturally born again. And the only way you get born again is going through the door. Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Boy, he says, I am the door. It won't be through your personal beliefs or some kind of arrangement that you made with God. Well, me and God have an understanding, preacher. I've got my ways and you have yours. No, I don't have a way. Jesus Christ is the way. And listen, I just believe that what he told me and what he says in his book is truth. And the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And if Jesus says he's the door, then I'm going through today. I'm not going to be on the other side. I went in the fold today. And I mean to tell you, you want to get into the fold. You want to be a part of the family of God. You truly want to have a home in heaven. You want to know God as your Savior and Lord. And you truly want hope for eternity. My friend, you got to get through the door. And Jesus is the way. He's the only way. He's the only way. There is no other way. It's just not going to happen. We sing a course around here with the kids. It's called One Way. It goes like this. One way, God says, to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. One way to reach those pearly mansions. Jesus is the only way. No other way. No. No other way. No. No other way to go. One way, God says, to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. You know where that course comes from? The Bible. The Bible. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of worse, lest any man should boast. He's saying, listen, you think you can get to heaven some other way than the door? What you're depending on is yourself. You're trying in your own mind, your own ability, your own intellect to somehow figure out a way to somehow maybe let the good outweigh the bad or somehow figure a way around the door, above the door, under the door. But it doesn't work, my friend, because salvation is by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. It says you're going to get something you do not deserve. And that's what you don't deserve is heaven. And what you don't deserve is my presence. And what you don't deserve is my fellowship. And what you don't deserve is a relationship with me. And if you'll go through the door, Jesus Christ, if you'll enter in through him, you'll have all of those things and so much more. But otherwise, you'll miss it. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not by works of righteousness. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you, you really want to know the difference between religions today? There's only two religions in the entire world. You say, no, there isn't. There's all kinds of them. People come to me all the time and say, Preacher, how come there's so many denominations? How come there's so many different religions in the world? If we have one Bible and one truth, then how come there's so many of them? Hey, that's a great question. Can I tell you there's really only two, though? You say, well, what are they? Well, they're either the door or you. That's really it. You say, what do you mean? No, either you got to work your way to heaven or you're going to trust in Jesus to get you there. That's really all the difference in religion is. You look at religions in the world, who they trust in themselves. They say, if you just 
confess this sin, if you just deal with this problem, if you'll just continue to be faithful, if you'll just do this, 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 and this, then hopefully you'll make it. You know what people say at the door often? If you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? You know what they say usually? I hope so. You want to know why? Because they have no fixed point of reference. They have no real truth to hang their hat on. They're really depending on themselves or what they do somehow. And hopefully the mercy of God will be extended to them because God does love us, right? Therefore, because he loves us, he must accept us. But that is not why God saves us. His love does not in and of itself save us. His love only provides us the opportunity down the road. He gives us his mercy, yes, extends it, and his grace. Let me tell you something. When Jesus hung on Calvary and shed his precious blood, what he basically said was, now I've opened up the opportunity for you to be saved. But you have to come to me the way I say, not the way you determine. And you know what the way is? There's a door right there, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the door. Not religion, not good works, not baptism. None of those things are the door. Jesus himself is the door. A person is the door. And a relationship is the key to escaping hell and ultimately ending up in a place called heaven. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Boy, if you ever hope to enter into his fold, to become part of his family, to live in his abode, heaven, one day, then you've got to enter through the door. And that door is none other than him, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. Question. Has there been a time in your life when you recognized yourself as the sinner that God describes you as in the Bible? That you really probably know yourself to be already, if you'd be honest. Have you come to that conclusion that there's nothing good about you in relationship to God who is holy, perfect, and righteous? Have you ever come to that conclusion in your life? That how could God ever love me? How could he ever want me? Why would he ever want me the way I am, the way I act, the things I say, and the things I do? I'm such a sinner, and he's so perfect and holy. Have you gotten there yet? Have you gotten there? If you have, have you ever thought about why in the world Jesus would have to come to earth and die? Why would Jesus have to go to a cross if you and I could be good enough to get there on our own? Have you ever wondered about that? The reason he came is because we can't be good enough. Because the Bible teaches that we're sinners at the very root. That from the time of Adam all the way through, everyone's been born into sin. Even as my, my well, I was going to say the color of my hair, but I'm really lacking it. But, and my son's hoping that I don't, that he doesn't take that characteristic with him. They say it skips a generation, so he's hoping it does indeed. But um, my, my, even as I used to have plenty of hair and it was brownish, dark brown. And of course it was lovely, just like Absalom's. Beautiful flowing locks. Some of you know, if you know of anything about Absalom, he, he was, well, anyway, you read it sometime. It describes the pastor here. So nonetheless, he, he, I mean, he, he, even as I would pass the color of my hair, the color of my eyes, and some other, uh, even physical problems, like say if I'm, I'm prone to this or prone to that, more my kids get that, inherit that. Guess what we inherit from our fathers all the way back to Adam? Sin. But fortunately for us, Jesus Christ died on Calvary. He shed his precious blood and he paid for our sin. He took our rightful place as sinners on the cross. 
and paid the awful penalty of sin, which the Bible says is death. He died for us. Now, you've come to that place. If you know you're a sinner and you realize that Jesus Christ came and died for the sin of the world, you have to come to the place where you realize he died for you personally and specifically. It's not enough that he died for everyone. You've got to come to the fact, to the reality that he died for you personally. Well, see, today is a door. And that door is Jesus Christ. The question is, is this. At that point or at some point in your life, have you recognized these truths and realized that he's the only hope of you escaping the penalty of sin? He's calling you right now. And asking, you got it? So here's the question. Have you entered through the door? Have there been a time, a place when you realized you're the sinner and only Christ himself can forgive your sin and you came to Jesus and said, Lord, I can't go any other way. I can't go around. I can't go above. I can't go under. I've got to go through because I do not want to miss heaven and I do not want to miss a relationship with you. I want to be a part of your family and I certainly want to experience heaven in in my life. I'm coming through you because you are the only way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever done that? Because if you have it, my friend, you're on the wrong side of the door. And until you get on the other side, you're not part of his family, according to the Bible. The Bible says we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? We are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say we're all the children of God by creation. No, we are all the creation of God, but we're not all the children of God. You become a child of God the very moment you put your personal faith and trust in Jesus. When you walk through that door and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust in what he did for you on Calvary, then my friend, you enter the fold. You become part of the family of God and have heaven as a home. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you walked through the door? Have you gone through Jesus Christ to get to heaven? If you're trying to get to heaven any other way, my friend, you're going to miss it. Any other way, you're going to miss it. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ, the door. Oh, we see how some of the critics responded. We see how some of the religious leaders responded to him. But it doesn't matter right now how they responded. All that matters is how you respond. How you respond. That's all that matters. And you sit there today and maybe you say, well, I'm not a member of this church. That's okay. You don't have to be a member of a church to respond to the door, Jesus Christ. You don't even have to be a good person, because guess what? The Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. You say, well, yeah, I know somebody that's really good. Yeah, in the world's eyes, but compared to Jesus, who is holy and righteous and without sin, all of us fall miserably short. You just need to humble yourself today. Look to Jesus, who is holy and righteous, who died for you and paid for your sin debt, and say, Lord Jesus, I want to get to heaven, yes. I want a relationship with you also. I want all of it. And I know you're the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to go through you. Because I know I can't go through myself or through anyone or anything else. Because no one and nothing can get me where I want to be in eternity but you. So this morning, what will you choose? Will you choose to go through the door, Jesus Christ? Or will you continue to question and criticize and come up with your own ideas and your own philosophies? Or will you simply obey the truth? Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me. Will you come to him today? Will you come to him today? Father, we thank you for the simple truth of your word.
We're so thankful, Lord, that you said that your sheep hear your voice and you know them and they follow you. And you give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Father, thank you. But Lord, today there may be those that have yet to enter your fold. Lord, maybe they're good people in the sense of the world. They're kind to folks and they're benevolent with people and others that are in need. And Lord, they may have all the things that the world says is going to get you to heaven. But Lord, the Bible teaches us, obviously your word has taught us even this morning that Jesus is the only way, that he's the door. And you're not going to get to heaven, not going to get into the fold without going through him. So Lord, today, may those folks that have yet to receive and accept you do so this morning. May they enter in at the sheep gate because you are the door. Well, thank you for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe this morning you don't have it settled. You don't know where you're going to spend eternity. You can't remember a time when you recognized that Christ only, no one, nothing else but Jesus, could wash your sin away and take you to heaven. You believed in religion. You've been grown up in hearing the word of God preached maybe, but you've never made a personal decision for Christ. You've never settled your soul's salvation. You've never walked through the door. Jesus Christ in that sense. This morning you'd say, that's me, preacher. I can't say for sure. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Would you pray for me, preacher? I don't have that settled. Would you please quickly raise your hand? Let me pray for you, would you? Would you let me do that? I don't have it settled. I've never done that. I don't even, I've heard those things before, but I've never personally made a decision to receive and accept Christ into my life as Lord and Savior. I believe that he is Jesus, and I believe that he came to earth, but I, I've never personally made a decision for Jesus Christ like that. Never walked through that door, made a conscious decision to go through the door through Christ to get to heaven. Anybody? <clears throat> That's me, preacher. I don't have it settled. Can I see your hand quickly? Anyone? Anyone? All right. Not one hand was raised. There was? Well, I wish they would have said that. All right. <clears throat> All right, thank you for the help there. One hand was raised. Any other hands? It's important that you're honest with yourselves. There's one hand raised then. I didn't see that hand. I'm sorry. It's so important. Anyone else? Quickly. I'll pray for you. I really will. And I'll ask the Lord to give you the very grace and the strength you need to make a decision on his behalf. Anybody? Anybody else? Only one hand in the group, right? One hand. That means everybody else is going to heaven today. Without a doubt, if I've come to you today and personally asked you, if you died today... Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Every one of you would say, yes, sir. I have no doubt whatsoever. And the reason why I have no doubt is because I've received and accepted Christ. I remember the day, the time, the place. I definitely know I'm on my way to heaven because I did what the Bible says. If not, would you be honest enough today to let me pray for you? Anybody like that? Listen, I go through this all the time. But you know what? I'm just convinced that there's probably a few others here today. I believe that. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? We got another hand. Anybody else? Come on now. Be honest. All right. Maybe you weren't able to raise your hand, and I think there was another hand. Yes, raised. Very good. Amen. Listen, this is your opportunity, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And in just a moment, the music's going to play, and I'm going to ask you to simply step out, come right to the front. There's already somebody being dealt with right now, and there'll be others that'll come to the altar, I'm sure, just to pray. Won't you join them? Won't you come and let someone take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how to be saved? Father, bless 
the hands that were raised. And Lord, be with those that could not raise or felt un, uh, unsafe to raise their hand. I pray, Lord, that you just be with them. And Lord, give them the very strength they need, Father, to make the kind of decisions that's important for their eternity, for their future. Lord, we know, Father, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. And so, Lord, we commit them into your hands, knowing that, Father, you are the answer. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and that they need you more than life itself right now, just like I needed you, and just like so many others in this room have needed you. Now bless them, and Father, give them the courage to step out into the aisle and make their way forward where someone can show them from the Word of God how to be saved. We'll thank you for that. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's